You grabbing your Bibles? You want to turn to uh, Joshua chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, some people should be coming around. Please flag them down. We're the kind of church where we just don't talk about the Bible. We actually uh, dig into God's Word and uh, study it. Hey, there's a new idea. And uh, do that together and looking forward to it. Well, it's a week after Easter. The tomb is still empty. And uh, new days are ahead. And Joshua chapter 5, in so many ways, has this idea of, of the old is going and the new is coming. Um, there is something really important out of this, I think, that we oftentimes just don't grab a hold of from this passage. And, and as we've been working from Joshua 1, we're now up to chapter 5. Uh, we already know there's some seven plus centuries of time that's taken place from when God said that his people would be uh, entering into the promised land, and they are entering into it now. And we finished in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, and let's pick up there, okay? You there? You sure? Okay, Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And Lord, I pray as we uh, just open your word, just show yourself, show us more of you. Christ's name we pray. Amen. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan. Remember that? It was just a couple weeks ago going through all that. Dried up the waters of the Jordan for the one and a half, two million people of Israel and all their stuff to walk across. And those kings, we read their hearts were melted And there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. I mean, what a great way to start out. Here you come in and you enter into this land that the Lord has promised for hundreds of hundreds of years. You're in the sending base place and all the kings are already sensing this thing of we're doomed and they're demoralized in in where they're at. Now, I'm not necessarily sure all the people of Israel knew that reality that they felt so doomed and demoralized. Uh, They may have because of Joshua chapter 2, if you were here when we studied that and some of the news that came back, but I don't think they understood it to the full point. But when we look at this, it's the kind of thing. There you are. It's been 700 years. You're in the land. God has just shown himself big. And I would just say, what would you do next? Because I know what I would do. I would be like, let's take it over. Oh, and just true. Uh, I don't know. I would. I'd be like, listen, this isn't the time to camp out. This is the time to take it now. But here's what's so interesting about the Lord. They're in the promised land, and God says, hey, I got an idea. Let's just uh, incapacitate the entire military for some days. How about that, you guys? I'd be like, what? Are you kidding me? You got me in here, and now you're going to like, some of you are going, is he really going to talk on this passage today? (laughs) Is he really going to talk in this passage? Yes, we are. If you're new here, we're studying from Joshua chapter 1. We're walking on through, and we're kind of coming up on a little bit of a freaky part here. And uh, hang in there, okay? Because there is something out of this that I'll just tell you straight up. I didn't realize until preparing for this week all what was going on, and I'm excited to share it with you. God set him back on purpose. 
And let's take a look and see what's going on here because this is a reminder, friends. Are you going to live life your way? Or as I have it titled, or Yahweh's way? How are you going to choose to live life? Because they are at that point right now. And it is a new day. These people have been wandering for some 40 years in the desert. And they are in the promised land. It's a new day. And yet God has something to deal with, with his people. Let me read for us, starting in verse 2 through 7. At that time, pause. What you're going to see here in this text, it talks a number of times about that day, that time. And last Sunday, we were at the end of Joshua chapter 4, and I titled it, The Details Matter. This is a detail here that matters at that time. At what time? Well, the time that they just crossed and they stepped over. And we saw last Sunday at the end of Joshua chapter 4 on the 10th day of the first month. By the way, the 10th day of the first month, which was some 40 years earlier, was the very day that God had them start the Passover process. They cross over at that point. And then it says here, at that time. So we're in this time when the kings are fearing what's going on. At that time of the victory, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua... Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. By the way, this is not an actual second time circumcising the same people. I'm not even going to go there. It's referring back. That was a past time. Now this is a time to start anew. Verse 3. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Okay, you already creeping out? Verse 4, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. Okay, here's the reason. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, in other words, those who were 20 and older, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord had swore that that he would not let them, that prior generation, see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Parents, you ready for some interesting discussions after you get home? Let's talk about this. We need some history on this to grab a hold of what's going on. And I'd like for you to go to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 17. Because what in the world is all this freaky talk about? Genesis chapter 17. I want to read verses 1 through 14 here, just so that we can understand some context of what's happening. Genesis 17, let me start in verse 1. We're back some 700 years earlier. When Abraham, when Abram was how old? 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. Oh, that'd freak you out. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. 
Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, for your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, Abraham, and I will call you into nation, make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you, uh, af- after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout your generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Here it is. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you, Uh, shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. And any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Circumcision, number one, started back here and what God is taking it is he's saying it's a sign. It's a mark. Now you and I are like, well, this is freaky, but listen, it's a deal to God. And it's a mark. It's a mark of the covenant between man, the Abrahamic people and God. And the person the text tells us that's not circumcised is cut off from God's people and is cut off from covenant relationship with Yahweh. And so circumcision... Here is also a prerequisite in the text. It's a prerequisite for the Abrahamic people to gather before God. Okay? Now turn to Exodus chapter 12. A little bit to the right. Genesis, then Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. The context here is we are now actually close to about 700 years. It's about 40 years. 40 years before Joshua 5. Uh, We are at the time when Israel are slaves in Egypt. Uh, the setting is the ten plagues have already taken place. Passover's already occurred uh, just shortly before. Uh, the Israelites have actually left Egypt, but they have not crossed the Red Sea. You know, in the movies, it's kind of like they walk out of Egypt, and then it's like 100 yards down the road, they cross the Red Sea. That's not quite the way it happened, but I understand for movie purposes. But here God is instituting an ongoing practice of Passover. Let me read verse 43 to 51. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. In other words, it's already taken place, but God is saying, I want for you to carry this out every year. And no foreigner shall eat of it, uh, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh out of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. 
If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Now, this is a new generation in Joshua chapter 5. Let's go there. This is after that event. Joshua chapter 5, let's one more time read verse 5. Thanks for hanging with me through this, but it's important to understand this crazy talk. Verse 5. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So the Joshua 5 people, this is a new generation. This is a new generation of people for God living under the Abrahamic covenant. And, and, and they're not to be like the prior generation. The prior generation right before them, the ones who came out of Egypt, those who were 20 years and older, they died in the 40 years in the wandering. We could really call them kind of a, a, an island of spiritual misfits generation. In fact, Numbers 14 talks about how it was a time of judgment on them. And they, they just were... A, characterized by a lack of belief in Yahweh. And so God has them all die off. And so here's a new generation that's stepping up to the plate, but they have not been circumcised in this. And you're like, Doug, this is like no big deal to me. Why are you even talking about this? Actually, this is totally creeping me out. That was a last generation thing. That was an Old Testament thing. It makes no sense. It's even sexist. Uh, those questions are great questions. And I'm going to ask you, come back next Sunday. And I mean that seriously. Because next Sunday, we're going to talk about what do you do when God has some of these freaky things going on from his perspective? What, what do you, how do you handle that? We're going to take a look at that uh, out of Joshua chapter 6 and the beginning part of that. So come back next Sunday, and we're going to talk about Yahweh's unique ways. But today, I want to hang on what the big picture of this is going on. And, and last Sunday, we talked about the details matter. And you look at this text, and even though you go, you scratch your head, you may not get it. You sit back, and it's like, why? But it's the kind of thing where ultimately we go, you know what? Apparently, this was a big deal to God, wasn't it? Isn't it? I mean, because God's the one who said, do this. And no matter how freaky we may feel about it, no matter how weird this may seem, no matter how you're like, I don't get it. This was a big deal to, to God. And so the details matter. But why did they do this? Well, Genesis 17 and 12, it all adds up. God saw this as something important. So let's try and understand what is happening here. And what is happening here is verses 10, 11, and 12. Take a look at it. What takes place? You tell me in verses 10, 11, and 12. What takes place? What? Passover. What did we just read about in Exodus chapter 12? That you can't enter into Passover, the Abrahamic people, unless circumcision takes place. And this generation had not had that happen. And God knows that. And so God's like, listen, I want you to enter into Passover and something has to take place here. And I just want to bring into this, God sees something in the past that needs to deal with. And so he is. And so we have these people here in this situation that God has put out on the table. Listen, Joshua, go get the flint knives. <laughs> go get the flint knives. And let's get on with the program. 
But here's what's so cool about this. God's people have just stepped into God's sending base place. And he's like, pause, pause one more time. Because there's one more time, one more thing from the past that we got to deal with. And we're going to deal with it. And then guess what, boys? Onward ho. Onward ho. Now, can you imagine coming out of a generation where God is telling you to do something and your parents and the generation right before you was kind of a whole island of spiritual misfits? Could you imagine that? And you're like, what? Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and I say that and I go, actually, I do come out of a whole island of spiritual misfits. The last generation that I was raised out of, really, God was irrelevant. Or maybe it's the kind of thing for you where you look at this and you go, you know, the last generation of people that I come out from, if I were to define them, I would call them an angry lot. A very bitter lot of people. Or maybe for you, you come out of a background to where it's like, you know what, this last generation for me is just characterized by alcoholics. Hey, I get you. My grandfather was literally known as the town drunk. Maybe you come out of a background of generations in the past where there's been addiction that's taken place. Or maybe your whole family has just the family tree is just littered with divorce all over it or adultery or just deep family wounds and pain. You know what? This this passage speaks to you because guess what? God wants to deal with the past. And he wants to put it to bed rightly so that you can move on for his glory. Watch this. Watch this what happens. So, so God says, do this deed. And what happens? Verse 8. Look at verse 8. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished. Whoa. There's a whole lot contained right there in that half of a sentence. Some funny. Some maybe so not. But when the whole nation had finished what God had told them to do, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. I'd say so. Let me just put it this way. A new day is coming. This generation is going to be a new people set apart unto the Lord totally for his glory. And God's going to deal with the past with them and get it washed away taken care of. And by the way, can I also say out of that? Change can be hard. Implied within, as I could even say it this way, change can hurt. Understand uh, the the setting of who, who was this? Coming out of Egypt, if you remember, there were two groups of people when we started the series we talked about. There were those here in the beginning of Joshua that are anywhere from 40 to 60 years old because back when God had, had told them they're going to wander for 40 years until that whole nation dies off, it was everybody who was 0 to 19, uh, they were the ones 40 years later that are now 40 to 60 years old. And the text told us they are the ones who came out of Egypt. They did not die in the wilderness. They came out of Egypt. They had been circumcised. So actually in this whole situation, the guys that are 40 to 60 are going, hey, that's all right. (laughs) This is okay. But it's the guys who are zero to 39. 
that have been born in the wilderness and not been circumcised, these are the guys that are on the table of it, the process. And, and that's what's happening here. And yet I come in this and I go, look at this. They could have said, over my dead body. Are you kidding me? These are young men and, and, and adult men. And it's kind of the thing. Joshua comes and says, hey, guess what we got to do? I'm telling you, buddy, I'm out. But what happened? The whole nation obeyed the Lord. No matter how freaky you and I might think about this. That tells a lot about this nation. This generation. This is a generation that is even willing to say, God, if I don't get it, that's okay. You're God and I'm not. What a cool group of people. And then let's look at verse 9. And after this, after the whole nation was finished, the Lord said to Joshua, today. I love that. Today. Not tomorrow. Not next week, not next month, not a year from now, but today, this day. In other words, right after the steps of obedience were carried out, God says, look what happens. Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Some text uh, translated as, I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. There's different thoughts on what that might be, and I don't want to get and talk about it because it's not important today. But it carries this idea that there was something in their past hanging over them. There was a reproach that was kind of like always coming back on them, like whispering in their ear. There was a disgrace in their history. There was this kind of dark cloud hanging over their life from the past. And what does God do? God says, you know what? As a result of you obeying me, I am going to roll it up. And it's gone. Do you realize how people are looking for some way to roll up the anguish and the misfitness of generations past, of maybe even in your own life, to roll it up and to be able to say it's gone. It's done. People are looking for a way to do that. And guess what? Yahweh has the way. Just the fact of who God is in all this. This is a glorious, glorious reality, removing the reproach from the past. God has brought on a new day. The grass is greener. The sky is bluer. The sun is brighter for what God has done here. Oh, so sweet. By the way, one more thing before we go to verses 10 through 11. I want to note the test of this. I've already alluded to it a little bit, but God comes in here and he says, listen, Joshua, here's what to do. Go make some flint knives. And go after the 0 to 39-year-old guys. <laughs> you imagine him coming back and telling you? Knife in hand? And again, as I've already mentioned, they had the choice to go, not me. They had just seen God do an incredible victory. This is the way life so often is, friends. 
God does something just really miraculous or just really sweet in life. And, and for them, it was pulling the Jordan back and they cross on dry ground, the million and a half, two million people and all their stuff. And they get in the promised land. It's been some 700 years since God promised it. They're there. It's like, woo, the kings are doomed and demoralized. And God's like, guess what? Got to deal with something from the past. And it's like, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to move on. No, 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 no. Deal with it. Deal with it for good. Deal with it so that God can roll it up and roll the disgrace and the reproach of the past and chuck it away. And these guys did it. God, okay, I'm in, even if it hurts. What a test. And by the way, at this time, they're on enemy territory. Just because they're there doesn't mean like everything's all going to... I mean, these other people don't want them there. And to incapacitate your military actually seems like a rather dumb idea, doesn't it? But that's what God has them do. This is almost like God is saying, listen, my friends, you've entered in, you've seen me work. Now I have a question for you. Are you now, after having redeemed you across the river, are you now going to live my way or your way? Choose. Boy, there's a lot of practical application right there, isn't there? Friends, this isn't about circumcision. This is about choosing whose way you follow. And so I ask you, whose way? This last week, has it been about your way or Yahweh's way? Hey, listen, this is not about being perfect. No one in this room is perfect. But are you pursuing after Yahweh's way with seriousness? Or is that just a religious nice thought? Hey, God saying, choose me. Choose me. This is so cool. And when you do, a new day dawns. And the past and the reproach is removed. Oh, grace. Verses 10 through 12. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, this is not another day, this is just coming right after this, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the plains of the Jericho. Hey, by the way, do you remember last Sunday if you were here, the details matter and we talked about how they crossed on the 10th day of the first month, that correlates back to Exodus and how on the 14th day of the, of the first month, that was the day that Passover happens. Listen, some 40 years later, God's people are back on track. Back on track. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, and the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Two things about this. Number one, Passover. Passover comes and they celebrate it. Now, if you're not familiar with Passover, let me just remind all of us about it. Uh, Passover back in the ten plagues, that was the tenth plague. That was the final doozy. 
That was the one to where, listen, you need, God tells him on the first day of, on the the 10th day of the first month, you're to go and to get a lamb and set aside a male, that's interesting, unblemished, that's interesting, lamb, that's interesting, and you're to pick it out and set it aside on the 10th day. Then on the 14th day, you are to take that male, unblemished lamb, and you are to sacrifice that lamb. And then you are to take the blood from that lamb, and then you are to paint it on the doorpost of your house, and then you are to take your family, and you are to stay in the house of the lamb blood-covered doorway, and over that night, God's judgment is going to come across Egypt, and anybody that does not have the blood of the unblemished male lamb painted on their house, God, in judgment, is going to take their firstborn. And so that night back in Exodus, those who don't just know about it, those who don't just can repeat the mantra, but those who know about it and do it and apply the blood on their house and stay in it that night. Can you imagine? And when you hear the screams and off in the distance in the land of Egypt from parents who have not, who are not covered by the blood. screaming and you are hanging under your home and you are going oh dear god i pray the blood covers me because the only thing that's keeping god's judgment from them is the blood of the lamb covering them and the fact that they by faith are remaining friends this is the gospel This is the cross. This is what it's all about. And so the real question then out of that is, is in this is just application for you and I is, have you, do you not just know about the lamb? Do you just not know that the lamb was sacrificed and blood given, shed for the sins of forgiveness? Not just do you know that, but have you applied it to the doorframe of your house? And are you living under it by faith, knowing that only because of the lamb shed blood do you have any hope before a holy God? And so here on this night, that's what these people do, recovering literally from the pain. And they are remembering. And friends, remember, they are back in union, full out with the Lord. Now that's a way to start taking over the promised land. By the way, the manna ends. The manna, they've been, every morning, they've been waking up and grabbing their bowl and going out and it's like, this is so cool. God just puts the cornflakes right out on the ground. Just take your bowl, scoop it up, take some goat milk, I don't know, I guess, some Mountain Dew and put on it and have and uh, get it Mountain Dew. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'll stay in my current role. And all of a sudden it changes. Hey, may I remind us? Living under the blood, life looks different afterwards. 
One commentator said, uh, most of God's gifts, referring to this fact that the, the manna is now gone, most of God's gifts to his people are not dazzling and gaudy, but wrapped in simple brown bags. In other words, if God had been doing this for 40 years, that's all these people knew for 40 years. And now they had to get fruit from the land and make their own breakfast and post toasties and things with it. And they had to take it in this kind of way. And yet in it now, every day, God still is providing for them. Do you realize this morning, if you had the opportunity to eat something for breakfast, do know this, God has allowed that to be able to be food for you and me. Every breath we breathe is one more breath from God. And even when our breath is taken, guess what? God knows that. And it's right in his timing. And for the person that has been painted by the blood to be away from here, to be with the Lord, bring it on, man. Is that really so bad? So the manna ends. Yet Yahweh's provision still continues. Hmm. Look what happens to people who live Yahweh's way. It's not easy. It can really even hurt. But I think we can all agree that's a generation that God's going to use. Let's be that kind of generation. Honestly, I think the church in America over the last 20 years in many ways has been an island of spiritual misfits. And you've even heard some testimonies and there were some earlier today. It's like almost was ready just to bag the church and God's people. I get it. But I want to tell you something. God loves his church. And I pray that we're the kind of place that like, let's bring it back. Let's be the new generation that God uses in deep and abiding ways in our own lives and way beyond. And that this building, it's not about a blasted building. It's about what can be done out of a building for God's glory and for his fame. So who do you choose? Better asked, Who have you been choosing? Some people are kind of like, well, I can redeem myself. I'm okay because, you know, I I try and do good. I just want to tell you, in love, God says it doesn't matter how many good works you do. You cannot earn your way back to God. The only way you can earn your way back to God, you can't earn it, but is by applying the blood. The Bible says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The Bible also says, as many as received him, as many as who applied the blood, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Has the blood been applied to you? I'll just do things my own way. Yeah, I I lovingly, I don't like saying these kind of things, but I just want to let you know, the Bible says, if you're going to do things your own way, you're in a heap of trouble. Because God loves you enough that when we go in the wrong course, he loves us enough like the perfect parent that he corrects us back. Listen, a choice to sin is a choice to suffer. God doesn't want us going there. I can earn favor with God. No, you can't. 
I'll work my way out of this mess. No, you won't. But that's the way I was always taught. So what? But was it Yahweh's way? That's the bigger question. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Hey, here's the great news. You're not a dog and we're not talking tricks. There's hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. So if you need a new day, a new dawn, if there's like a cloud that's just hanging over you, turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. The world tells you that you are stuck to the genetic cesspool from your past. No, you're not. No, you're not. Choices and habits of the past from generations in the past can make it harder. But new know this. God is much bigger than the genetic cesspool. Plus he owns it all. There's hope. There is hope. It doesn't mean it's easy, but there is hope. There can be a new day. And I want for you to know as well, out of this text, that even if you in your own life, you've made choices in your past that you wish no one knew about, that you wish you could wipe away, and you've just tried to forget it on your own, and yet maybe even though it may carry consequences today and into the future, do know this, God can roll it away. And lastly, let me just remind you, Abraham was a big liar at some key times in his life, and yet God used him. Jacob, that dude was such a conniver, and yet God used him. Oh, by the way, Joshua chapter 2, Rahab was known as the town prostitute, and guess what? God's redeeming her. He, he, he redeemed her out of the whole situation. We'll, we'll meet her again when we cover into chapter 6. Oh, by the way, King David, the man after God's own heart, remember, he was an adulterer and a murderer as well. And then the criminal on the cross, he was a thief. And yet at the last minute, he placed his faith in Christ, covered by the blood. And Matthew... I mean, Matthew, the truth is, is Matthew, the disciple Matthew, in his career, he was a thug tax collector. That's just the way they were in that day. And the Apostle Paul, religious, self-righteous dude who hated Christ and hated everything Christian. And he murdered him. And he writes half the New Testament. God can roll the reproach of the past away. Oh, Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I'm not just not talking fluffy thoughts. I'm talking to the core of the bone of sin from the past and wickedness from the past. Whatever it might be, God can take it away. Listen as I close with this passage. Colossians chapter 2. Just listen. Paul says, oh, by the way, the hater of Christ at one time, but now redeemed says, for I want you to know how great a struggle it is I have for you, for those at Laodicea and for all who have 
who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the measures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, he says, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, painted by the blood, so walk in him. That's an imperative term. It's a, so you must be walking. You must be living in him. Rooted and built up and established in the faith. Just as you are about abounding or excelling in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. According to human tradition. According to the elementary spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, listen to this in him also you were circumcised really in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hey, please, hear me. Have you applied the blood? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because when that happens, from God's perspective, you are covered by the blood. Rolled away. All reproach, gone. Let's pray. Hey, just as I wrap it up, I just want to take a moment here and just say, If you've got some past family generation stuff that's just a dark cloud over you, can I ask you just nail it to the cross? Out of our passage, cut it off right here, right now, and nail it to the cross. Maybe you've just got some junk in your own life going on. Sin that's just been hovering over you and you've been trying to get away from it. Hey, welcome to the team. And I call you to nail it to the cross.
cut it off, nail it. God, I want to thank you for your kindness to us, your abounding love towards us, your unceasing grace made available. God, I don't know, maybe in here there's this room is just filled today with some people who just have hurts from the past that are just a nightmare to them. And they've been looking and searching for a way to get it removed. Lord, we can't, we can't play a game with it. But we can come to you and in Christ you can remove it. God, thank you for the, uh, if you will, the circumcision that Christ provides. Marked by the blood of the Redeemer. It is a prerequisite to coming back into relationship with you. And this is a reminder that you are a God who is way more than just about the future. You are a God that is all about wanting to take care of the past. Lord, I pray if there's anyone this morning in this room who's kind of like, man, I just, I just need to talk with someone about what this is all referring to. And I don't know if I have a relationship with the Lord through Christ. God, I just pray they would ask. They'd ask someone they came with. They'd come and ask someone after the service. God, for those of us who knew Christ as our Savior and have driven the stake in the ground with you and received you as our Savior, oh God, I pray that we would not be living on our own work, but we would every day be living by the work of the cross. Because you have stuff for us to do. And we need to deal with it and get right be prepared let's go conquer Lord for your glory for the fame of your name you are the redeemer in Christ's name we pray